Clubhouse. Welcome to Interview with a Podcast, a Pod Clubhouse original. I'm Caroline from Daily Review. And I'm Mike from Pop Culture Review. Each week on Interview with a Podcast, we sit down for a chat with a podcaster website and its creators. Here at Pod Clubhouse, our main goal is to create a community of collaboration among podcasters and their friends. If someone has something to say, has a passion for a topic, we want the Clubhouse to be a way for content creators to find their voice. Through Interview with a Podcast, we'll be able to highlight a diverse array of podcasts from TV to music, movies to comedy. Maybe it'll be a sports podcast one week or a DIY home projects podcast. Hopefully, we can help you discover the next must-listen-to true crime podcast. Each episode gives you, the listener, a chance to meet and decide if their podcast is a fit for you. That's right. We've got two goals here. With Interview with a Podcast, we hope to be a destination for listeners to get curated podcast recommendations. And for content creators, we hope to be an outlet to increase visibility and listenership. It's the rising tide lifts all boats approach to collaboration. If there's a podcast you think we should feature on Interview with a Podcast... Send us a DM, and we'll see if we can set up an interview. And with that, I think it's time we get to this week's guest. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Welcome to Interview with the Podcast. Today, we're talking with Kenny Nybart and Phil Iscove from Podcast Like It's 1999. Hey, guys, how are you doing? Thanks so much for joining us today. We're good. Yeah, we're doing well. Thank you for having us, guys. Tell us how you guys actually met each other, the origin story of Kenny and Phil. We were both assistants at a talent agency together, and uh, we worked in the alternative department, which is like a budding ballot department. So this is, we're going back like 15 years now, which is actually crazy to think 15 years because he still seems like a new friend. But um, we were assistants at the talent agency together, and we spent a lot of time um, discussing and arguing and really like anticipating new films and dissecting them together. And, and we were, I mean, in a place that's filled with people who, obviously love film and television and media and all that stuff. Phil and I, I think we were, we kind of represented a different breed there, Phil. Wouldn't you say that there weren't a lot of people who looked at films analytically the way you and I did? I knew that I didn't want to be an agent. So, you know, we both went into it as sort of, I mean, I, I speaking for myself anyway, I went into it as, you know, I, I had a film degree and I wanted to sort of use this as an opportunity to kind of, as a graduate degree of sorts, to learn about how things sell, why they sold and, and hoped that that through relationships and what have you, you know, hopefully I was, I was able to build a career off of that. It was a really interesting experience. I mean, I do think I agree with Kenny. We were, we were sort of outliers in the sense that we, we dug deeper. We were, we were also, you know, I would say bigger, I don't want to say bigger fans because that feels weird, but like, I just felt like being at sort of this hub of, of information and talent and what have you was just really exciting and a real opportunity that I saw as a, a launching pad. I think Kenny felt the same way. I do. I think we, I think we looked at it differently. It wasn't so much that we liked anything more or less. I think that there is, a, I think that there's a healthy love of film, television, music, et cetera, at all these agencies. They just look at it in general as uh, something that they can, you know, figure out how to get on networks and build careers off of and make money off of. And I, I'm not knocking that, but I, Phil and I always kind of looked at it as how can we get up inside of this? How can we be yeah. part of this, uh, part of the, the, the creators of this from the beginning? 
fortunately, we, we figured it out. And, you know, other friends who started agencies who wound up, wound up being writers and directors um, and producers and even actors and all these things. But Phil and I knew from the beginning that, that we were not long for the agency life. When you guys now, like, sit back and look at your art projects, do you ever think, because that, that's actually an interesting thing, commodity versus art, do you ever think, like, fuck it, I'm just going to take this job because I, I, I need to pay for my car this month? Or have you guys, you know, are you still are you are you still at least able to kind of like be more precious about the art uh, to the extent you want to? No, <laughs> I am so far from being in the position where I can take jobs because I love it. Not that I don't love the jobs I have, but there is a point I think in uh, every writer's career that they have to accept that you are working within a commercial system. This is how you make money. I, I don't mean to speak for Phil, but I think this is true for both of us, that there are jobs you take because they're being produced by studios and because there's money on the table. And then there are jobs you do yourself, hoping to sell them, which are really where your passions lie. For me, at least, one brings in a lot more money than the other. I pretty much uh, totally agree with Kenny. You know, it's staffing jobs, um, and this is not to denigrate you know, staffing jobs, but you know, you're, you're, you're working at the pleasure of the president, right? You're working for somebody else and someone else's vision and, and hopefully honing your craft and your skills and your voice on top of that. But your development are, you know, those are the projects, those are your babies, right? Those are the ones that you nurture from conception and, you know, they're the ones that, that feel like they're more 100% your voice. And admittedly, I mean, you're working with, you know, tons of other people when it comes to the development of things. So it's not 100% your your thing. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that we work in a, in a in an industry that's about the commodification of creativity. You know, it's about selling art. And I think the, the more people perhaps recognize that, the happier they might be. Yeah, and, and to Phil's point, I mean, Phil, we talk about this a lot in our podcast because it comes up a lot. There's no shame in that. There's no shame in someone who works in mass media and tries to get their you know art out to a lot of people. I do think that that's something that has changed a lot in the last 20, it's 22 years now, since 1999, that I think there was a significant amount of shame associated with doing kind of commercial projects. But I, I just don't think it's the same situation that it was back then in terms of kind of playing to the long tail or, or playing to Hollywood or playing to the creative community and that being, you know, kind of where the nobility lies. I just don't think that's true anymore. Understanding that has been something that's helped me as a, a writer, as a, as a popular TV writer, knowing that, you know, there are only few people, only a few Greta Gerwig's, only a few Charlie Kaufman's who really go out there and get to let their freak flag fly and make money. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. And I would piggyback on it to say that, you know, the, the old adage of one for them, one for you, I, I think is also a bit of a misnomer. I, I don't think it's that binary and I don't think it needs to be that binary. Right. And I think that by doing that, you're doing yourself a disservice to some degree or another, certainly the stuff that you're making as well. That's not to say that, I mean, Kenny and I are both completely honest, you know, there are jobs that you take because it's a job you need to pay the bills, but that doesn't mean that you can't still work hard at that thing and still try to, I try to never write a scene or write a line that I don't like. I find a way to like it. You know what I mean? You got to find a way to, to, to make it your own in some way. Right, right. You're not just putting a stamp on it kind of thing, right? That's the truest statement of them all, Phil. <laughs> Finding something with everything you do 
that you like, that you're into, finding a character, finding a theme, finding an emotion, finding something that you can you can latch onto. I've worked on several projects and several shows that are, I mean, more things that I've done for hire that are kind of embarrassing on paper that I've just kind of fallen for during the job of working on it and, and finding myself in it. So it's not such a bad thing to, you know, find yourself sitting and trying to write the Dance Dance Revolution movie, which I did try to do. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, some of those moves are really complicated. But I mean, <laughs> you should hear the backstory of how they wound up on the game. <laughs> wow, Kenny taking us deep behind the scenes today. <laughs> One of the things about the podcast that I love is we started as a, as a movie podcast and we still are primarily a movie podcast. You know, 90% of our content is based on the films of 1999. But, you know, as we were digging deeper into the year, the expanse of art, music and books and television shows, you know, we did a miniseries on Freaks and Geeks, which honestly is one of my favorite things that we did. Not only did it allow Kenny and I to sort of talk TV, which is obviously our, our main passion, but also to talk about a show that that not nearly enough people have seen. It's one of the best things to come out of 99. I think Kenny and I can both agree on that. It allowed us to do a deep dive into the making of a television show and, and each individual episode and character arcs and all those sort of things that you don't necessarily get to do, you know, in a, in a two-hour movie. It's, it's just been really exciting to see it sort of grow and change over the years. So speaking of high-paying jobs, what led you to <laughs> actually choosing podcasting? Because <laughs> we all know that's where the money is, so I'm glad you guys headed there. Rolling um, in nickels over here. We're rolling right? in literal nickels. We're pretty nickels. much like Scrooge yeah. McDuckin' it every day around here. Basically, <laughs> why did you choose 1999 as your year and why podcasting? Kenny, do you remember how we came up with 99? Because <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Just kind of happened organically. Like, Phil and I both grew up reading a lot of Entertainment Weekly. And what I've noticed is that a lot of <laughs> podcasters around our age were all kind of out of the closet that Entertainment Weekly was very formative for our understanding of pop culture in the 90s. You know, and I don't want to give names, but, you know, other podcasters who've been on our podcast and whatnot have also acknowledged this. It's not a shame secret. I mean, it's, it's not like reading Soap Opera Digest, which I may or may not have had a subscription to in the mid-90s. <laughs> How would you know what happened on Days of Our Lives? <laughs> well, what's interesting about it is it's not shameful but there was some shame in getting your entertainment news or really your artistic news from a Time Warner publication. Mm and not reading film comment, for instance. Right. And I think that that was something that has kind of changed. So to, to kind of take it a step further, Entertainment Weekly had, I think, a really good editorial eye for going beyond what the, what's coming out from the studios and kind of opening people's eyes, not only to independent film, but also kind of independent film and, you know, kind of genre film throughout the last 20, 30 years. When 1999 happened, it was almost like an explosion on those pages, so much so that at the end of the year, Entertainment Weekly declared it the best cinema year of all time. That always stuck in my head as as this definitive publication that I really respect is saying that all these movies that I think are amazing actually constitute an incredible year of cinema. And I think that happened to Phil as well. I think Phil, you know, now he might have been a little more high-minded than I was at the yeah. time, being in film school, working at a video store. But I think he also kind of, from his perspective, saw the same thing, which was 1999 is unusual, right? There are usual things happening this year in terms of paradigm shifts and culture changing and we just we danced around it as we were talking and it just kept coming back to all these movies that you and i find so formative being john malkovich and magnolia and talented mr ripley and the insider and election and the list goes on and on and on all came out the same year it's like a miracle we go on forever talking about this and 
lo and behold, we kind of have the podcasting part. Now, Phil and I are a little different on this one. I just love fucking talking, as you can tell. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't, (laughs) you know, when you're in a writer's room with the room I'm in now, it's 14 other people. You can't monopolize time like you can with two other people or one other person. I didn't even think about ever making money or having ads or anything like that. I just wanted to fucking rap with my friends. So that's all it came down to for me. Listen, I I love the sound of my own voice as well. I mean, I I think that, uh, you know, being in a writer's room also helps on on that front, too. I mean, there are a lot of people that just like to talk. But I mean, to to Kenny's point, ultimately podcasting, it feels like Blank Check with Griffin and David was a really big touchstone. I started listening to that. I really started to love it. I point to Kenny in that direction. He really loved it, too. And we found ourselves sort of thinking like Griffin and David have been very clear about the fact that, you know, their modus operandi is we wanted to feel like you're sitting in a diner with your friends at 1am after you've seen a movie that you love you know i think kenny and i have a similar feeling you guys uh, basically every episode no matter what it is you have a guest and they seem so very well targeted to the movie you're covering how do you guys go about asking and recruiting guests for the beyond the show kenny has obviously a whole group of his own friends and i have my friends so you know there's there definitely is a sort of us kind of thinking you know who would be great for this who would be great for that twitter has been great in this respect i have no shame in cold dming someone and saying hey would you come on and talk about such and such a movie. Twitter's brought a lot of people together. Film Twitter is, a, is as toxic a place as it can be, is also a somewhat welcoming place. When we look at the list of 99 movies, you know, we try to sort of think like who would be really cool for this. And we've been very lucky that we've got a good chunk of the people we've, we've tried to get. You guys know people you've had, you've had a far well ranging amount of people on for the various movies, but is there a dream guest if you could go get anyone and match them to any particular movie? Living, dead, super famous, <laughs> you, you know, a guy you knew down the street. Is, is there like a dream guest for each of you guys? Truthfully, there, there are two that come to mind. The first is I would really love to have Ryan Johnson come on to talk about American movie. I love that documentary. I would argue it might be one of the greatest uh, documentaries when it comes to the making of movies and how movies are made. And I think that he would be a tremendous guest to, to talk about that. He seems like someone who just, you know, has a love for cinema. And uh, I just I think that'd be a lot of fun. And the other one that comes to mind is Paul Thomas Anderson for Big Daddy. He was in many interviews has talked about how he saw that film and that's when he knew that he wanted Adam Sandler for Punch Drunk Love. And I I just I'd love to talk with him about what he sees in or saw in Adam Sandler and saw in that film. And a lot of Paul Thomas Anderson's films are a lot funnier than people perhaps give them credence to. I just rewatched Phantom Thread uh, over New Year's, in fact, and that movie is I think, hilarious in its own insane sort of way. So I'd love to just talk to Paul Thomas Anderson about how he sees comedy. Those are my dreams. You got to manifest it. You know, we're all about the secret and vision boards here. So, you know, you got to put it onto the universe. Indeed. Kenny, did you have uh, dreams? Yeah, I, mine's a much different direction than yours. I think. <laughs> um, as, as listeners of the podcast know, I'm a massive wrestling fan. What I'd really, really love is for John Stewart to come on because he is also a massive wrestling fan and talk about WrestleMania 17 with us. That would be, that would be a real joy for me. So I would love that for you, Kenny. And for us. <laughs> that would that would be the best because John Stewart, you know, is is as good as they come. And the fact that he also likes wrestling, which is literally hilarious, would be great. Phil would have no choice but to take it seriously if someone of John Stewart's intellect and esteem were to were to take this seriously as well. Just to be clear, I don't. I try not to be dismissive of wrestling. We actually we're we're going to record not. a wrestling episode next week, which I'm excited to, to do. I just don't know anything about it, and I, I like to think that I and you know I'm sure that this is true for Kenny too. When we go into episodes about things that 
I don't know much about. I love to ask questions and I, I, I like to be, you know, I, I like to think of myself as a curious person. So I'm just as happy asking questions as I am talking myself. For what it's worth, those are often my favorite episodes of the podcast. The ones that go into a subculture that isn't necessarily an obvious subculture. Like I really loved our episode on Peanuts with Jeff Greenstein, who's a totally writer and director. I don't think Phil and I understood just how kind of deep the world of peanuts is so i love that one i also loved our episode of pokemon with mike and sally you know yep. uh, something that phil and i have no affinity for whatsoever and no <laughs> understanding of that universe but it exists it matters to a lot of people uh it was born essentially in 1999 with the first movie it's relevant and uh we love doing it there there are things like that that happen and i mean we'll be doing a spongebob episode soon spongebob means nothing to me Literally zero. As it should. But I know because it's shit, I think is the right answer. But there are a lot of people who don't feel that way. (laughs) And I think that there's a 50% chance we'll be turned around on it. Like, we certainly were turned around at Pokemon, right, Phil? 100%. That was a very funny. We know Mike. We had him on, actually, for IWAP here for uh, You're Missing Out, his new podcast. And uh, he's a pretty funny guy. Uh, The Pokemon episode was great because there was, especially at the beginning of it, there was a lot of, why are we doing this? Like, it it may be time to to stop the podcast kind of vibe and it was pretty funny you know one of the things that i know kenny and i both pride ourselves on and it's the reason why our rating system is the way that it is at the end of every episode is either we've seen a movie in 99 or we haven't we sit down and we watch it before we do the podcast obviously and you know i try to go into every movie with my you know with my eyes and ears open we're launching a, a patreon actually uh, in a couple of weeks you know we did we did one relatively recently on look who's talking and i was texting with kenny about it beforehand being like you know I, I like this movie but i'm not sure that i love it and then by the end of the podcast with him and past and future guest corinne steichman i was turned around on it i want to be turned around i go into every every episode wanting to be convinced of either something, some movie's greatness or television show's greatness, or quite frankly, be turned around and told that it's garbage. If there's anything about our podcast that I think, I hope, sets us apart is Phil and I are willing to change our opinion. I think when, yep. when it comes to film Twitter, film discourse, there's black and white, good and bad, toxic and not toxic, problematic and unproblematic. Once you've taken one stand or the other, there really isn't a lot of back and forth and a lot of discourse, a lot of changing of opinions. I mean, I'd say 80% of the time, Phil and I more or less stand the lane we were in when we, when we showed up to the podcast. Now we've done what, Phil, like 200 episodes or a lot, including the TV. Yeah, yeah, there are dozens of examples where we've gone from Liking a film to loving a film, hating a film to liking a film, hating a film to loving a film, just because of the the conversations we've had with with our guests. So I don't know. I hope that at least is kind of the the thing we can we can put out there in the world, which is you know not all opinions should be static. And secondly, like I hope it's kind of a hook for the episode or a hook for the show, which is. Phil and Kenny aren't just going to come and tell you how it is. Phil and Kenny are going to listen to each other and listen to the guests. And hopefully at the end of the episode, we'll be in a place where, you know, we're informed by the discussion and informed by another person or two other people or three other people's opinions and takes on these movies. It really just drives me nuts the way people are unwilling to listen to another person's view of a, of a film or anything, really. It's, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> 
I, it's I, the very yeah. worst of like the film Twitter lack of discourse. So I would even say, Kenny, you know, some of my favorite episodes are are for are for movies that almost sort of kind of become beside the point a little bit. I mean, one of my favorite episodes that we did is with uh, Jessica Alice for Anna and the King, a movie that that basically doesn't exist, a movie that no one really particularly cares or talks about very much. But then you know somehow we got to J.J. Abrams, and and there's about forty five minutes of us talking about Star Wars with Jessica, which is just some of some of my favorite discussions we've had. We really try to make these episodes not get boxed in. I mean, there are some movies that that are that are classics that are unimpeachable that you know that you're you know you're not you're not going to shit on it. And I, and I would I would argue that the, the 89 Patreon so far have been you know such unbelievably great films. Kenny and I have both struggled at times to even find anything particularly wrong with them. Angela's Ashes is a movie that kind of doesn't really exist in its own way. But we had Lola Kelly on, who's Irish, and I learned a shit ton about Ireland that I certainly didn't know anything about. So that in and of itself was just a really special episode right right there. Well, that's something I like about our podcast, like kind of the the modus operandi of it all, which is we don't choose shit. We have to do every movie, right? So no podcast is going to spend their time in King or Angela's Ash unless they're they're forced to by virtue of some ridiculous rule we made up, you know, three and a half years ago at brunch. So we've learned one that there's something to be gleaned, something to be discussed, something to be analyzed in every single movie ever made and secondly we've learned that some movies that have been discarded kind of thrown into the trash bin of history so to speak like dudley do right for instance so you never know <laughs> is brenda fraser like peak canadian like national hero <laughs> for you Phil? well i mean i mean listen he he obviously is a a torontonian hero but dudley Jordan is a perfect perfect call Kenny because that was a movie that we watched the trailer with Aaron LaRosa after we did the episode on uh, Blash in the Past with her on you know sort of on a lark being like here's the trailer for Dudley Do Right do you want to come back for it and the trailer was so fucking crazy that I was just like is this movie going to be great like I, I really <laughs> I mean, you really have no idea I don't know about you Kenny but it's one of my favorite sort of out of nowhere you know yeah I mean Dudley Do Right the obvious one because it's Dudley Do Right and it sounds really stupid but it's one <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> on, on the other hand, there are movies that I had never planned on watching because there's something about them that I found kind of like constitutionally revolting in a weird way. Repulsive, but not in a, I'm disgusted by it. Like I'm, I'm repulsed. I don't want to watch this movie. I never wanted to watch Julian Donkey Boy and I never wanted to watch Audition. And they are two of my top 10 films of the year now. So that's another thing that I'm thankful for, which is it's it's important to not let any discourse or let any, you know, kind of aura around a movie dissuade you from from engaging with it. Uh, I'm so thankful that I've seen those two movies. They're so now important to me in terms of my own creativity, my own way I look at films like those films, you know, basically J-horror or, you know, super low budget indie like Julian Donkey Boys. Well, you guys are clearly pros, but many of the podcasts we talk to say, please, for the love of God, don't listen to our first episodes. They are so bad. We didn't have our groove. We didn't know what we were doing. Our tech sucked, whatever. For you guys, what episode stands out to you as a great entry point for a new listener, someplace where they could understand this is exactly what this is about. They're they're firing on all cylinders here. 
What do you guys think? Oh boy, I'm gonna let you go first on this one, Kenny. I like our first episode. I, I there's just <laughs> it, it's the story with our first episode is Phil and I started. I believe it was 2017 or 2018. Phil, 2018, right? It was 20 to the end of 2017. It was the end of 2017, like November 2017, and we went back and forth what the first episode should be. We landed hard on the first episode should be American Beauty. It won Best Picture. It is a time capsule. There's just something about that that's, that really speaks to where the culture was in 1999. So we went ahead and we recorded American Beauty. Within days of recording American Beauty, <laughs> Kevin Spacey was outed as a sexual predator and you know rapist and, and everything he is. We decided we don't want to launch this podcast on the back of Kevin Spacey. We went back and we went back and forth about what our, our new first episode should be. And Phil very astutely talked me down from you know, Wild Wild West, which is what I wanted it to be. Because <laughs> I also think Wild Wild West is emblematic of a, of, a, of a bygone time. Phil said we should do Eyes Wide Shut. It just worked. There's something about that movie and the way Phil and I talk about movies and the way Phil and I contextualize it in film history and, and the things we are both really kind of, you know, mesmerized by and fascinated by uh, as, you know, kind of writers and, and budding filmmakers that really worked for us and for our podcast and kind of set the stage for, for how we want this podcast to be so the first episode is the one i i would say go for it i can't disagree with anything kenny is saying i mean i i really do love our first episode i think that that it does set the stage for people to get a sense of kenny and and my dynamic i mean our, our griffin and david episodes are really fun and anyone who's a fan of blank check should absolutely check out those episodes they're some of my favorite episodes for sure. I really love our episode with Healy Flaherty on the Muppet. I think that that's one of the funnier episodes that we've ever done. Honestly, I have never laughed harder on the podcast than Kenny describing Goofy's, what is it? Goofy's Flying Lesson? Goofy's Flight School. Goofy's Flight School, the roller coaster. At Disney World, sure, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like my own personal nightmare. It's the world's scariest roller coaster. <laughs> but I'll, I'll say I'll say one last one, which I think that if you're going to jump into uh, into the podcast for a for a big 99 movie, one of the biggest, Emily Vanderwerf coming on for the Matrix for a two parter on the Matrix was it was really special. Emily sort of speaking to sort of the, the the trans interpretation of the Matrix was just really really beautiful and interesting. I learned a lot about her. I learned a lot about how important that film was to her. Uh, and then on top of all of it, it's easily one of the best movies of 99. It was really exciting to find a new and fresh and exciting way into a film that obviously has been discussed a lot. Yeah, I mean, Emily has an amazing story and through the lens of the of the Wachowskis and the Matrix is uh, definitely powerful listening to. Thank you. So you guys are locked into the we have to do everything in 1999 movies wise, but you've done <laughs> you've done TV shows, you've done Felicity, you've done Sex in the City, you've done albums with Fiona Apple and Rage Against the Machine, Battle of Los Angeles. Those are less you're tied into them. So how do you guys go about picking when you do those tangent 99 projects? Are those things you actually like or things you're, you want to get into? What's the process for picking those side tangent projects? I think that some of it is scheduling stuff. You know, we both have very busy lives and, and I think that opportunities for us to be able, for me to be able to go and do a couple episodes by myself frees us up a little bit, you know, to just keep going and, and for Kenny to father his four children and, and his career. Those are uh, obviously very important things. In terms of why, I'm just an enormous Felicity fan. And honestly, I think people have, some people have reached out to me about this. I mean, it was such a gift, you know, right in the heart of this pandemic that we're still living through to be able to cozy up you know with such a autumnal show where everyone's wearing sweaters and 
talking about their feelings. It was uh, <laughs> it was everything that I could have asked for for the few months that I was that I was doing that. Part of it too is just wanting to make sure that that different kinds of people can listen to our show. I mean, I think that fans of Sex and the City might not want to listen to episodes of The Matrix. Making sure that that we're you know that we're speaking to as many people as we can is certainly a priority. On the music stuff, I mean, here's another example. I know nothing about Rage Against the Machine. Kenny's an enormous Rage Against the Machine fan, and we brought on a friend of mine, Rich Monahan. That was an episode where I just sat back and listened and, and tried to learn as much as I could about this unbelievable important band. In general, on the stuff that's not movies, I mean, Phil's certainly taken the reins on the TV miniseries, which I think is you know kind of something that that he's really passionate about. I'm more interested in kind of the curiosities of '99. So there aren't a lot of bands like Rage that have become massive in that way. So how did that happen? There aren't a lot of bands like Fish that have become massive in that way there aren't a lot of artists like britney spears like things like that really get me excited and those are the ones that i would that i push for in terms of the the non-movie ones and, and, and to be frank the ones i join i do think that you know what phil's doing is like kind of yeoman's work when it comes to expanding our footprint really giving the giving the full breadth of what this year had to offer since you guys cover felicity i have to ask you what was your take on the haircut heard round the world? <laughs> I mean, I will say that, you know, it's 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 so funny. I, obviously, we spoke at length on the podcast. I had several guests on specifically for that episode. Karina McKenzie, the, um, uh, the creator of Roswell, New Mexico, came on to talk about that. You know, honestly, I... <laughs> And this might sound silly, but I really, really loved the the sheer balls of of the top of season two of Felicity that they that J.J. Abrams and everybody decided to just throw a grenade into this television show to destroy the love triangle, to have her cut her hair, change her uh, her major. They they really just said fuck it. And I, I think she looked cute with the short hair. Isn't it wild to think that J.J. Abrams started? at Felicity. Like his real first yeah. blow up is Felicity. Like you think about J.J. Abrams now and everything he's done in the sci-fi world and the big franchise movie world and you yeah. know his roots are in Felicity. That's just wild. I, every now and then I stop and think about that and it blows my mind. <laughs> you know what his first movie was, right? I know. I mean, his first movie goes back to like the early 90s, but I can't remember. Yeah. The Jim Belushi vehicle taking care of business. Yes. <laughs> and I believe he also wrote regarding Henry. I mean, he really, That's the one uh, I was thinking of. He was a real work-a-day writer back then when he was, you know, 19 teen in film school <laughs> uh, hilarious yeah i mean I also there's there's you know just a uh, one last thing on, on on the haircut there's an amazing new york times piece that came out shortly after she cut her hair and jj issues a statement that that i swear sounds like something that a press secretary for the president would have to say i mean talking about how sorry he is and how we're fixing it and it's growing back and it was just it was it's hilarious it's, it's amazing to think of how big that show was and how much it, it sort of changed people's perspectives. But it's also amazing, too. Kenny talks about JJ's early days. I mean, didn't he do a, a pass on Armageddon? Pass. He wrote it. He's one of like 12 yeah, writers on Armageddon. You no, know, I'm, I'm pretty sure JJ wrote the spec that Armageddon was produced That's on. That's amazing. 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 Uh, no, he's quite a career. I mean, you know, the, the Felicity thing is kind of amazing to me because I would argue that the show wasn't quite as big as Carrie was. And Carrie like had this just this angel like quality to her, and she she just she's kind of blew everyone away. And I, I hesitate to get too deep into it because <laughs> one, I did I wasn't on these podcast episodes, and two, we're pretty far afield. But 
but are we though i think we're right in the field we're right. I, think, you're right. I, think, I think we're making snow angels in the field we're doing okay so. the field is fast so i think it goes even beyond just a character getting a haircut i think it had this weird angel having her wings clipped quality to it and i know that 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 you're we're wading into some waters of paternalism and misogyny and uh things that are very uncomfortable to talk about and i think that informed a lot of the discourse which is Felicity slash Carrie doesn't actually own her hair. We own her hair now. That became a very weird kind of dynamic to it that would not have been quite as cute in 2020. That's my thing. Matthew Reese was just recently on Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. He is very funny in the episode and listen to it for nothing else other than him talking about the wigs on the Americans with him and Carrie Russell and how the costumer would like put them on both their heads and the wigs that fit them both were the ones that they were able to go with on the show because of the budget and stuff. It's very, very funny. Oh, stop. Really? That's so funny. Yeah. I mean, he's a star. He's he really brings his a game and he's using the, he's using his like normal Welsh accent. And it's, it's actually uh, pretty entertaining, but very far field and hair. It's funny. I always feel like that the wig guy, and the the makeup guy, not the people who actually do the job, but like within the world of the Americans, is very. It's 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 a real underexplored part of that universe for sure because it was such a, a vital part of the show. And there's this entire thing too that there had to be a almost low budget quality to this high budget TV show. I mean, it's FX. It's a high budget show, but they had to actually make a low budget product because of who the characters were. You know, Soviet yeah. Union, the early 1980s Soviet Union spies in America are not going to have like top notch wigs. It, it, it is a, it's kind of a fascinating thing um, how they create the world and really kind of place you in there. So tell us about a memorable moment on the podcast, a moment where you were like, had this big epiphany or just everything went oh so wrong, but just a memorable moment. One thing that I mean, sticks out for me is Phil mentioned the episode with Emily on The Matrix, but we had an earlier episode with Scott Turner Schofield, who's a trans man and a an activist on Boys Don't Cry. And we did that early in the run. One of our maybe the first 50 episodes. And I think we did that in 2018. And I think you can hear Phil and I in the moment understand things about the trans experience and trans portrayal in Hollywood that I don't think we understood. And I don't think we're really that well understood by culture at the time. I think that that to me was a really important episode for us in terms of how we approach episodes that deal with subjects, particularly things like uh, marginalized communities. Scott said something to the effect of nothing about us without us. And we've really taken that to heart moving forward, trying to have someone who could really speak to the experiences of the characters that they're not, you know, cis white males like Phil and I, that I think is, has helped our podcast like immensely in terms of getting to the root of what's going on in all of these films. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I certainly can't and wouldn't try to top that. I mean, that is, but I, I, I mean, I, I will say that, first of all, I'll say I, I completely agree with what Kenny is saying, that, that you know, we, we have gone out of our way and certainly try the best we can to, to learn about things that we acknowledge that we don't know about. 
you know, we did a diversity roundtable episode a few months ago with a bunch of uh, diverse writers to hear about their experiences, to learn about their experiences, to to try to make sure that Kenny and I, when we're in positions to to hire people or even when we're you know staff writers on a show, that we're open to hearing and making sure that everyone's voices are heard. I'm glad that, that we were able to put that together and I learned so much throughout the course of it. I would also say on a lighter note, to a certain degree, you know, we did an episode with Heather Renier on Jawbreaker, which was an episode that I had a lot of fun recording. And then we had a fair amount of people on Twitter and what have you having somewhat negative reactions to the episode and feeling as though we didn't understand the movie, feeling as though we didn't necessarily completely get what the film was trying to say. And in the process, you know, I reached out to the filmmaker and the director were in the process. I mean, I'm still in the process of trying to set up an episode for, for him to come on. But I think that we're always open to hearing whatever anybody has to say and making sure that all points of view are being heard. I know Blank Check being an important foundational podcast for you guys. You for sure heard Griffin talk, if not every episode, every other episode about how what he says is going to cost him a job someday, you know, whether he's, picking up, <laughs> you know, whoever, whoever, whatever it is. And do you guys ever worry about having a hot take on a movie or whatever you're talking about that week? Does that ever creep into your mind or are you pretty unfiltered with your, your feelings as you go forward? <laughs> I feel like Kenny's more fearless than I am. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I, I guess I could put it this way. I want to do this podcast in a way where I'm not protecting myself at all. I want to say what I feel in the moment, how I feel about these movies. I think that's the only way that it's even worth hearing my opinion. That means that I you know, say that I think Kevin is a very bad writer and director, even though Kevin Smith is a very you know, prominent person in town who uh, you know, is in charge of a lot of shows and could one day be in charge of hiring me. It is what it is. I shouldn't work for Kevin Smith anyway, right? I'm not the right guy for him. I don't think he's great. I do just, for me at least, I do feel like I have to be completely unfiltered there are times where I go back and there are things that like I maybe feel like I shouldn't have said but uh, the one thing I'm a little cagey about is my experience at Andrage that was that was like seven or eight years of my life there were ups there were downs I met my wife I don't really want to talk too much about what happened on that show in terms of the personalities but outside of that I'm real open about my opinions on what's happened in Hollywood and what goes on to be in the film TV musical or whatever that we've covered and why I think these things have turned out the way they've turned out the answer often is because of people in power not receiving respecting the people under them. You know, I would just say that on some level, I, I think that with my work, with the stuff that I write, stuff that I create, I'm always trying to find some sort, and I'm sure everyone is, some sort of a balance between creative integrity and commerce. I would say that when it comes to my opinion on film and what have you, you know, there are films that I feel I'm quite open about that are that I think are genuinely bad. I've been very open about the fact that I think Story of Us is one of the worst films of 1999. But I think Kenny can attest that I would probably saw off my arm for an opportunity to meet Michelle Pfeiffer. So I, I think everything is on the table. I try not to hold myself back too much. But there are certainly times when I think to myself, you know what, like, I'm, I'm just not going to go there. I think that Kenny and I both feel the same way in the sense that like, we certainly are open about our personal lives to a certain degree. But there are certain lines in the sand that I've drawn. And I'm sure Kenny is the same way. We try to find a balance, I think, no matter what. You guys have been so good today, giving up a lot of time and dealing with all sorts of Wi-Fi and tech <laughs> issues. No worries. Your jail sentence will be up. <laughs> It's not a jail sentence at all. One, I'm curious what happens when you eventually run out of movies in 1999 and then also get a little bit more into the Patreon. Phil, I know you mentioned it before. Kenny and I 
have been thinking about the idea of a Patreon for a while. It's always been sort of, we were unsure as to what the best way to do it was. 1989 is a year that is sort of a, an equally seismic year in, in a different way. It was sort of the birth of the summer blockbuster, so many sequels. It was a really big year in, in that respect. It's been fascinating so far, sort of putting it next to 99, you know, and the difference 10 years makes. There's something very sort of economic about the way that the films are written, the way that they're directed. It's just, it's a different time, obviously, but we're having a blast. You know, we've covered so far in the Patreon, obviously, we've recorded a handful of them, but, you know, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, When Harry Met Sally, Major League, Field of Dreams, the, the list is is pretty crazy, the amount of films that came out in 99, obviously a bunch of sequels to Lethal Weapon 2. Ghostbusters <laughs> 2, I mean, come on. <laughs> it was fantastic. Astron is, is an opportunity for us to be able to give back to our fans that have been listening to the 99 podcast for all these years, but it's also an opportunity for us to bring back some old guests, bring on some new guests, and, and talk about, you know, 1989, which has been really exciting and a lot of fun. How often are episodes going to be released there? Where are the tiers? The goal is at least two episodes will be released every month. It'll be two or three episodes every month, uh, and it will it will run the entirety of 2021. Then it'll be done. So 1989 through 2021. Awesome. We're still we're still working out the tiers, but there'll be you know three or four tiers, and there will be little giveaways or big giveaways. And we're very excited. It'll all be uh, it'll all be on our Instagram and Twitter very soon right Phil? all that stuff will be up soon we're, we're in the process of, of trying to put together a, a little bit of merch as well which i think people will be really excited about with a with an artist that we're really excited to be working with that's awesome and hopefully there's a tier where kenny and phil come to your house and do live readings of scripts from 1989 that's tier one you get you get that you get that for 2.99 a month that's fantastic and before tax i mean that's the steel guys so. <laughs> what i what i really love about doing the 89 podcast is we didn't approach this in any different way than we approach the 99 podcast we're just going to go out we're going to talk about these films the way we talk about films and kind of contextualize them throughout film history and talk about the actors and directors and people involved in making this movie there's something about the movies of 89 that have led to a far less kind of uh tense atmosphere it's not that our podcast is a tense podcast but you're talking about a period 1999 when things were, were culturally kind of on a Pinhead. You had a lot of weird stuff going on in the White House. You had a lot of weird stuff going on in the culture. You had a lot of really weird stuff going on uh, with youth culture, with the Limp Biscuits of the world and the MTV, you know, um, beach house and things that are just kind of uncomfortable that that seep into the films of '99, particularly the lesser, more lesser releases um, from major studios. Something about 1989 that feels like the last pure year, and it's lovely to watch movies like Look Who's Talking and Fabulous Banker Boys and even Ghostbusters 2, uh, and not feel a shred of, are they going to fuck this up tension? You right. just don't have that. So there, it really has been a joy so far. And I know that we're, we're doing, you know, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 30 to 35 movies. We're not only picking the ones that are, you know, kind of easy breezy, but um, even a movie like Sex Lives and Videotape and Drugstore Cowboy, these kind of more risque movies from that period, um, are still ones that I'm excited to, to go back to and feel less kind of personal ownership because I was seven at the time. There's a fair amount of films that deal with the African-American experience to a certain degree as well. I mean, you're driving the Stasis, your glories, and then a masterpiece like Do the Right Thing. I'm excited to, to bring on guests and, and sort of how that was perceived back in 89 and what it's about us about today. Awesome. Uh, Kenny, do you want to tell us quickly what happens when you guys run out of movies in 1999? <laughs> I'm curious too <laughs> well i don't know if you've seen soul yet but we just go into the great beyond <laughs> ah. 
we're just on that we're on that little escalator to the giant white light i think i mean i don't know i i phil and i i think are always going to podcast in one form or another we have too much fun doing it but we are trying to figure out exactly what it'll look like next but it, it will end like that's that's the answer to the question you know i one of my favorite podcasts is the best pick with three british podcasters um tom <laughs> Lindsay, john dorney and just regan who's irish and they are almost done doing every best picture winner and I'm kind of depressed as I listen to every subsequent episode, knowing we only have, you know, 15 to 20 left of that. But they have, you know, they have, it's, de- it's a definitive timeline they're on. And we're on a, a fairly definitive timeline, even though Phil and I can go pretty deep into made for TV movies, made for the Disney <laughs> Channel movies. We, we can we can string this out for another two years. I think. MTV Films was just starting up then, so you know. I yeah, think we we've done. Covered, I think we've, we've done all, all four the MTV though, films right? at this point. That's so funny. Yeah, we do. I completely agree with Kenny that you know, ninety nine will end, and when it does, uh, podcasts like it's nineteen ninety nine will end. Um, but you know, I think that you know, Kenny and I have we've tossed around a couple ideas for other things that that uh, that we might want to do, and and I think that the the umbrella, the idea of podcasts like it's dot dot dot, I think could very well be flexible in ways that uh leads us to down other paths yeah i mean for sure podcast like it's 1939 i mean you want to talk another blockbuster mm-hmm. year so we thought about it was, it. it was a big year we thought about it it's a big year yeah and you, and you guys can do the jitterbug you could do like a whole dance craze thing too which is great <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly before we let you go what day of the week does the podcast come out and where can people find you guys on social media if they want to interact with you follow you find out what's going on with the podcast and you guys well, podcast like it's nineteen ninety nine drops uh, every Wednesday uh, at midnight. The Patreon will be dropping on Mondays, most likely the second and third, and possibly fourth Monday of of each month. Currently, Sex and City Saturdays drops on Saturdays, obviously, uh, and it will be doing so for the next next couple months until that wraps up. That's where the episodes land. My Twitter feed is pmisco i s c o v e at on Twitter. I'm at Nybar. And we all, N-E-I-B-A-R-T, and we also have a Twitter feed for the show at podcast like 1999. And there's, so there's no, it's on that one. And Phil, Instagram is the same, right? Yeah, the, the Instagram is the same. And uh, we're going to be starting up some other, some other social media feeds, hopefully in the months to come. But those are the, those are the two big ones right now. Great. And we'll have links to all that too in the episode description. Yeah, guys, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today at the interview with the podcast. It was a real blast and a real nice deep dive into your podcast. Uh, we really appreciate you uh, spending time with us this afternoon. Thank you so thank much you. for having us. Truly. Yeah, thanks, guys, so much. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Take care, guys. Take nice care. to meet you both. Bye. Later. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.